as Jesus and his disciples walked the streets of Jerusalem. His disciples notice a blind man. And they ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? In some ways, the disciples are openly asking a question that we all like to ask. Why? Why does he have it so much harder? Why was she born with that disease? Why did that terrible thing happen to them? Who sinned, they ask, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus, whose fault is it? They're actually asking a logical question. Let's assume that they are operating with a first century Jewish concept of God being just, which means for them, God cannot be credited for the evil that happens to people. God couldn't have made this man born blind. And they also remember the scriptures that they were taught in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, and Numbers 14 about children being punished for the sins of their parents. They assume that this man is born blind because either his parents sinned or because he has sinned. The possibility of a child sinning before birth was actually talked about by the ancient rabbis. Not in terms of pre-existent life, but of the life a baby experiences in the womb. Now, I try to think of a funny joke about this, to be honest with you, about a baby sinning in the womb, but many of you know my wife is pregnant right now, and so to make any kind of joke about pregnancy being hard or babies or anything, it's just thin ice, so I'm just going to say we're not going to joke about that and move along. Jesus dismisses both options. Neither this man's parents sinned, neither did he sin. He was born blind because God's works will be revealed in him. Jesus views the man's blindness not as a tragedy, not as something that has happened because somebody's at fault. Jesus views the man's blindness as an opportunity. God is not punishing, God is working. As Jesus bends to the ground to make mud from spit and dirt, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus then calls himself the light of the world as he rubs mud into the eye sockets of a man who has never seen light. Jesus brings up day and night as a way of talking about his limited amount of time to live. And when he says, night is coming when no one can work, he means that all of us have a limited amount of time to do the work God has given us. 
Jesus sends the man to wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he returns, he is able to see. The people are astounded. They can't believe if it's him or not. And the man keeps on saying, I am the man. And as the story continues to unfold in the rest of chapter 9, the healed man is brought before the Pharisees. And they interrogate him. The healed man explains to the Pharisees, Listen, Jesus put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. It's as simple as that. The Pharisees are divided at this. And they say to him, Jesus is not from God. And then the Pharisees bring in the man's parents, and they interrogate the parents. And after not being satisfied with that, they interrogate the man a second time. Give glory to God, they say. We know that this Jesus is a sinner. And the man answers, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know. Though I was blind, now I see. The Pharisees then drive the man out of the temple because he has just defended Jesus. And then Jesus, at the end of the chapter, comes to find the man. And he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The healed man says, and, he is, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says to him, you have seen him. The one you're talking to is he. And the healed man says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. And it is in this moment, not back at the pool of Siloam where the man washes, but in this moment, when he says, Lord, I believe. Now, he truly sees. And that's the entire point of the story. The truth is that we, like this man, are all born spiritually blind. And the most important thing that you and I will ever do in our life is come to see Jesus as who he really is, the Son of Man, the living Christ, God incarnate. Seeing Jesus changes you, doesn't it? Heard about that from our folks who visited Africa and saw God's work. It changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you see people. When the blind man comes to faith in Jesus, his entire life from that moment on is different. And you can see the change start to take place in his life as he defends Jesus to the Pharisees, calling Jesus a prophet even. And then he comes to a place of belief and worship, believing in Jesus. Notice that Jesus, who is called the sent one in verse 4, sends the blind man to the pool named Sent. When Jesus sends the blind man to wash in the pool of Siloam, it's so much bigger than just this act of healing. This is a commissioning, 
of faith and witness. The man is being sent as a disciple. Likewise, Jesus tells his disciples, we must do the works of God while we still have time. Do you notice the pronoun we? We must do the works of God. Jesus is enlisting his disciples in doing the works of God, and he will do so again in John chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And the disciples will do so. And we, like the healed man, like the disciples, we too are sent to go forth and do the works of God. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, this is the works of God. You want to know what the works of God are? It's this. Belief. Believing in Jesus. Jesus enlists his disciples to do the work of bringing the world to belief. What that means is doing the kind of work that restores humanity's faith in God. It's about helping people to see that God is real, meaning helping people to see tangible things in this world, like love, justice, reconciliation, hope, peace, and righteousness. Jesus heals a blind man so that the blind man may see Jesus. But more importantly, he heals the man so the man might have faith in Jesus. This story is one gigantic progression of faith for the blind man who moves from confusion to understanding. From a place of no faith to a place of a proclamation of faith, from blindness to sight. And as that's happening, there is a simultaneous degression of faith happening on the Pharisees. They are moving towards disbelief in Jesus. They are blind toward Christ. And by doing so, the author of John is presenting us a contrast. The difference between the blind man who comes to faith and the Pharisees, who do not believe. And this leads us to ask the question, with whom do you identify? It's easy to think like the religious leaders think. In verse 40, they say, well, surely we're not blind. Who do you identify with? What is spiritual Blindness. And how do we get the dirt from our eyes as Tyler prayed? It's disbelief in Jesus, absolutely, but it's also an inability to see God's activity in our daily lives. It's not just about about believing in God. It's believing that God is active and moving and doing something. Our ability to see God actually goes back to the original question the disciples ask in verse 2. Look there with me. When they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you remember that question? The question of why, why God did this happen? Whose fault? 
The disciples are asking a question we are often tempted to ask. But what if it's the wrong question? In the mid-20th century, all of the telecommunication companies were asking one question. How can we improve mobile technology car phone? Mobile car phone technology, excuse me. How can we improve mobile car phone technology? That was the one question all the major telecommunication companies were asking, including AT&T. Mobile telephones, as many of you will remember, were rooted in cars, and they worked on FM radio, and everyone thought that this was going to be the future of car phones. But they weren't reliable. So all these companies were asking that same question. How can we make it better? Well, a small company at the time named Motorola hired an engineer named Marty Cooper. And Marty Cooper was hired to lead a team of engineers whose job was to ask that question. How do we make car phone technology better? And as the project went along, Marty found himself asking a different question. You see, back then, when you had to make a phone call, you had to call a place, never a person. It's kind of funny that a millennial is up here telling you all about this. (laughs) But if you wanted to get a hold of someone, you had to call a place, hoping that the person would be there. Phones back in these days were attached to walls and desks and in cars, but not people. So Marty asked a new question. Instead of calling a place or a car, is it possible to call a person? And he imagined this world where human beings would be walking around with phones in their pockets. I know it sounds crazy, something like Star Trek, but he believed it. And asking that question led Marty Cooper in 1973 to be the first person to make a cell phone call from a public place. He actually called the chief engineer at AT AT&T to let him know that he was calling him from a cell phone in perhaps the most epic form of nerd trash talk of all time. (laughs) The questions we ask dictate where we look. What we dream is possible. Jesus' disciples ask, who sinned? Whose fault? Why did this happen? They're asking the wrong question. The question is not why, not why God did this happen, but what? God, what are you going to do? God, what is something possible that you can do in this situation? It's not about whose fault, whose sin. It's about what God is going to do next. Not why, but what? Jesus says, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be revealed in him. It's hard to see Jesus when you're always asking the why 
instead of the what. When you're looking for what caused the problem and you keep playing the Pharisee blame game instead of looking for possibility, looking for opportunity. The disciples ask Jesus, who sinned? Whose fault is this? The disciples are doing the same thing that we like to do, reflect and obsess on ourselves, our own humanity. What part do we play in this? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Look to God. Look for God. So friends, may we be a people who can see Jesus in our daily lives, people who see the works of God as we too are sent to do the works of God. Let's pray. Oh God, how grateful we are that in you is love and hope and resurrection. In you, God, is new creation. Lord, we pray that you would give us the eyes to see it. Lord, help us to see you in other people. May we see them as you see them, God. And as your light shines on us, Father, we pray that you would help us to see those parts in our life that need your work, that need your healing, that need your touch. So God, we pray that you would make us a people who see, a people who believe, a people who go forth doing the kinds of work, Lord, that restores people's faith in you. We love you, Lord, and as we prepare our tithes and offerings, God, we ask that you would take these gifts as an act of worship to you and use them for your glory, for your work. In Jesus' name, amen.